Before we get started for this week's show, we'd like to thank you all for tuning in with a special shout out to those who support us on Patreon. From just $2 US a month as a patron, you can access extended podcasts and other bonus content. This week we wrap news and events from around the world before chatting with Matt Featherston to discuss the amazing work in Brazil. Stick around. Welcome again to another Emerging Cricket Podcast. I'm Daniel Beswick and I'm joined by the other two-thirds of the show. First, the man known as Copernicus Cricket on Twitter, Nick Skinner. Nick, how's things? Oh, not too bad, Bez. I've been uh, firmly ensconced in audacity, putting the, the finishing touches on a very special podcast for our dear listeners, so keep an ear out for that. You should probably tell them what it is, though. Like, There's, <laughs> there's not a lot of detail there. Or are we keeping it secret? You, you mean the podcast that they're listening to right now? Well, I mean, I've also been working on that, but on the non-EC podcast days, I've been putting together a retrospective on Namibia's uh, participation in the 2003 World Cup and uh, some great clips from some of the, the guys at the time and some of the current players who were, were inspired by their exploits. So, uh, yeah. You've been bouncing it around with us and listening to it thus far. It's been excellent, quite entertaining, some great quotes, great stories, one in particular from Francois Erasmus I won't give away. Uh, stick around and, and stay tuned for that. The third member of the podcast up in Brisbane, Tim Cutler. Tim, how are you? I'm wonderful, Daniel. I, I take it that you've uh, lost all sympathy for me in my medical state last week and to drop me back down to uh, to last in the order, but uh, all good up here. Life is getting more and more normal up here in Brisbane as opposed to down south in Melbourne, but uh, I'm okay. Face is uh, still recovering, but uh, look, there are bigger things going on in the world at the moment. I'm the one that gets to play the medical sympathy card this week. I got tested for COVID uh, with big flu-like symptoms. Thankfully, all good, but I reminded everyone, even if you feel a little bit sick, get tested. It's not that hard. It makes you want to cry a little bit, but I mean, the 10-team World Cup also makes me cry. So, Did you get the like the nose swab? Yeah, all the, way down. the yeah. nose swab. Yeah, it makes your eyes water and so do, you know, decisions made in regards to participation <laughs> at global tournaments. So, Segway master here, man. <laughs> this is almost as good as Nick's uh, Intercontinental Cup come uh, test cricket last week. This is superb. Tenuous emerging cricket health thoughts. I tell you what, if you've got this far, you're, you're a lover of emerging cricket. That's all I can say. Shout out to Ben Sting, who always harps on about these intros going too long, and he's probably right. Look, we're not doing movie reviews anymore. We should be happy. That's what he's, See, that's what happens. If you pay us money on Patreon, we'll do whatever you say, and we haven't given a movie review since then. Probably a good time to promote the Patreon. You do get extensive and extended content of the podcast and you get a say in the show's direction patreon.com slash emerging cricket that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n let's jump in to the topics of tonight before we do chat to brazil's matt featherston uh, he's done some excellent stuff there in brazil and, and south american cricket has been better for it uh, we'll talk to him a little bit later but first some more great news coming out of the emerging cricket world and the icc development awards were announced this week uh came a little bit unexpectedly we weren't exactly prepared for the news to come through but great to see a number of emerging nations around the world be recognized for their hard work and excellence not only on the field but off the field as well a few countries to go through png rwanda japan namibia finland thailand all receiving recognition we'll start to the north 
of us and in Papua New Guinea, PNG, some great initiatives up there, Nicholas, and some entry-level programs being given the recognition they deserve. Yes, the uh, Grey Nichols Participation Program of the Year is the official title of the award. And, uh, you know, we hear a lot about PNG's participation numbers, especially in their junior programs. And this is a really good program where they've taken the sport out to the, the more rural, remote, regional areas in PNG. And, you know, talking to Norman Venura a few weeks ago, where he talked about the difficulties in, in getting up to the highlands and some really inaccessible regions in PNG. And this project is basically the, the aim is to make cricket PNG's favorite family sport. And you know, that's an advantage that cricket has over a lot of other sports, especially rugby league. You know, in PNG, which is the, the, the national sport, rugby league's you know, a, a lot harder to keep playing as you get a bit older. And you know, cricket's the kind of sport where you can have parents playing with their kids and, and all those sorts of family things. And, and so I think that's a great, I guess, point of difference for cricket. And so it's clever for PNG to be running this. And, and I hope that, you know, with these projects bringing the game to, to kids in remote communities, hopefully the new pitches that they're building up, you know, all around the country can start feeding some of this growth into the national team and, and continue producing that talent pipeline that we've seen. Yeah, and just looking at some of the participation numbers in, in Papua New Guinea and, and having a look at that in comparison to the rest of the world, some of the numbers are astonishing. And going out into those remote communities, as we spoke to Norman Venua, it's so tricky, but they've been able to do it with aplomb and, and deserve the recognition that they've received over the last uh, week or so with the ICC. Some great work in PNG and to Africa where Rwanda have picked up a similar award, the 100% Cricket Participation Program of the Year, Tim. Yeah, look, if anyone hasn't looked up the Kahanga Cricket Stadium there just outside Kigali, just uh, stop what you're doing now and look it up. It's probably one of the most beautiful grounds in the world, built by a UK-based charity Cricket Builds Hope. And this award is about their female leadership and empowerment program. It's been running for a couple of years now. You know, once the charity actually built the ground and are now in partnership with the Rwanda Cricket Association. It does amazing work there in the in the local community and the ground has become a community hub in itself. And it's funny when you were talking about PNG just before, I've been looking at some of the participation numbers myself and on the female side, Samoa are actually number two in female participation in the world, which, you know, speaking about sort of women's empowerment, especially in East Asia Pacific, we've seen how important some of those programs are. That's that's great to see. But in terms of the award winner, yeah, look, Rwanda are turning into a, a hero of local development, both in, in Africa and beyond. So congratulations to them. Another country recognised for their efforts off the field were Japan and while we have seen a successful 2020 for Japan on the field in qualifying for and competing in the 2020 Under-19s World Cup, uh, Japan did some amazing stuff off the field as well. You know, in the midst of a, of a typhoon late last year, came out and did some philanthropic work, Nick, and it's a testament to, to everyone at Japan Cricket Association for putting up their hands and, and doing some hard work for some people in need. Yeah, uh, basically the city where a lot of cricket in Japan is centered around is, is Sano and um, they were really hard hit by Typhoon Hagibis and pretty much they put cricket on hold and, and spent a number of weeks just basically cleaning up the city and you know uh, a lot of places got flooded quite a few businesses and homes and um, the cricket community all pitched in and really helped to give cricket a good name and I think this, this is an interesting example of uh, cricket in a local context and, and in the Japanese context and just their uh, ability to be part of the community in a, in a really organic way and, and I think this is probably why it got the award it's just a, a really good example of, uh, of cricket for good as it's called to Namibia and they were rewarded with the associate members men's performance of the year in their trouncing of Hong Kong last year at World Cricket League 2 and to wax lyrical about Namibia and, and we've done it so many times over the course of this podcast history and emerging 
emerging cricket's history. This is just a microcosm, I think, of what's been a very good 18 months to, to two years in uh, cricket in Namibia. They've changed so many things on and off the field. Everything seems to be high octane. But to look at this particular example, what an exhibition of cricket that was. I mean, particularly with the bat, JP Kotzer and, and Stephen Bard putting up runs for fun, both scoring centuries. Uh, JP Kotzer losing all the white kookaburras in the bush and making uh, Nelson Odiambo come out, running with the replacement balls, which we found quite entertaining over the course of the day, Tim. And I know with your eggs in the Hong Kong basket in previous years, probably watching that particular game, it might have been a little bit strange to watch and, and, and or a little bit difficult you know, to watch it unfold, but it was an exhibition of cricket and they were able to put the icing on the cake with a solid bowling and fielding performance and Herard Erasmus talking about how 2003 was such an inspiration for him and then 16 years later he was able to make his mark on the game in world cricket by securing one day international status again. Yeah absolutely I think I've likened it to uh, this many times before watching your favourite bar burn down but uh, look it was just an amazing performance and I occasionally watch your little commentary reel that is sitting on our uh, live stream site that you've uh, jimmied up. You haven't done one for me yet but um, no, no, no problem. I'll, I'll just wait for you to do that. And there's just JP Kotz are just smearing it everywhere. Like, you know, it's almost like those dreams that you occasionally have, except the ones that you run yourself out or you go out without, you know, shoes or trousers on. <laughs> the one where you just clothes. it's going everywhere and easily. It, it really is. It was just like a highlights tape the entire game. So, yeah, from a Hong Kong perspective, very disappointing. But the cricket they played after winning against Canada first up, you know, they deserve to go down really. So, and Namibia did the job they needed to and they came out and I think the only word you can use there is ruthless. To Europe now and Digital Engagement of the Year Award went to Cricket Finland and, and to go back to you, Tim, having cricket out there in the public eye is so important in the exposure of a lot of these associate countries, emerging countries, but to have it with a, a fully fledged setup. Uh, a national broadcaster taking it on commentary, multiple cameras. It just shows how easy it can be achieved and how important it is to just tick all the boxes, do all the one percenters to get everything right. And you have yourself a really polished product like Cricket Finland did. And it's a wonderful achievement because there have been a lot of countries around this year who have been able to put really good streams together with a number of clients, but Cricket Finland taking the cake on this occasion. Definitely something close to my heart. And you said easy. I, I would counter that to say it's definitely not easy I, I remember when we at Hong Kong started broadcasting or streaming our one day internationals against Scotland back in early 2016 which was the same year that Finland started as well I think um, well there's a bit of inspiration from us but it was a, amongst so the associate brotherhood really there that they started streaming you know and people probably don't know too much about Finnish cricket you know they haven't played in the major tournaments in the World Cup qualifiers or, or World Cup so to not have that that potential pull and don't have that money coming in that it made it a lot easier for a Hong Hong Kong to put the stream on in the first place because they've got the revenue coming in to potentially put into a, a marketing bucket that you may be looking at as what you would be paying for your streaming out of. But for them to develop this concept to the point where, as you said, getting the national broadcaster involved and across the T20i um, event that they they held the Tri-Series to get over half a million views. They're great numbers in, in anyone's language when it comes to streaming online. That's up there with the CPLs and, and the other T20 leagues that are being streamed. So great work by Andrew Armitage and his team up there. Andrew's been on the ICC 
associate committees for, for many years. He was the affiliate representative at one stage to the board. Of course, Matt Featherston is now, he's a representative of the non-voting associate members who we're about to hear from. That's a great tie-in. Well done, Tim. Um, you can delete that bit, Nick. <laughs> Don't delete that bit, Nick. <laughs> so it's great to see that. And also when people fall out of those higher positions, he hasn't gone anywhere. It's not like he was only there for the kudos to be there. I know he's a follower of, of Emerging Cricket and it's good to be able to talk about the Bears because this is it's great to see a, a smaller nation who's doing great things be recognised. I think that's the sort of the takeaway from from these awards to, to recognise some really good programs like this from Finland. And last but not least, it would be remiss of us and of the ICC not to recognise Thailand after the year they've had in international cricket winning the Associate Member Women's Performance of the Year, doing so with their victory against Ireland during the World Cup qualifiers and then that semi-final encounter with Papua New Guinea, which was essentially their de facto qualifier final. They needed to win that game against PNG to qualify for the World Cup. And yeah, had it not been for that victory against Ireland earlier on in the tournament, it would not have been possible. But to think about Thailand cricket in the year that they've had, uh, an outstanding year like that of, of Japan to come to the T20 World Cup in Australia before uh, the world was entrenched in a, in a pandemic um, to think that you know 2020 will always have the shining light of, of Thailand at a Women's World Cup so unlucky not to have a win on the board in that particular tournament when they were robbed thanks to the Sydney weather that has decided to rear its ugly head again this week but just to bounce it off you guys a little bit here we've, we've talked about Thailand a lot over the course of, of the last year but you know, you, you can't really run out of superlatives um, for them. They've been probably the best story in emerging cricket in the last 12 months and deserve every ounce of this recognition, Nick. Oh, for sure. You know, people talk about the rise of Afghanistan and that inspiring story. I think Thailand's um, amazing performances over the last couple of years are definitely up there as far as, um, you know, feel-good stories go. And it's not just that they're a feel-good story. You know, that match where they really, I think they would have been in a with a really good chance of beating Pakistan and, and they played really well in that World Cup. And it's just a case of them needing more you know, exposure to the top level. And I think they'll start regularly beating full members. And, and yeah, the, the only way is up for Thailand. Look, we're locking it in. They scored 150. Pakistan had never scored. I think it was higher than 135. Um, look, they won that game. That's all that matters. <laughs> um, Bez, you know how um, how I hate correcting you. They, they still could have gone through if they lost that game against Ireland, because, but the problem would have been, and like what happened to Ireland, coming second in that group meant that they played against Bangladesh in the semifinals. So they, they still would have had that chance. Yep. But as we saw... You know, Bangladesh were the best team in that tournament, getting out of a lot of sticky situations. So I, it was just a almost a perfect tournament from from Thailand in, in that event to see them get that award. Look, it, it, it's fitting. And yeah, I think they're one of the best stories, not only in emerging cricket, it's, it's world cricket. We've talked about them a lot on the podcast and I hope people aren't rolling their eyes hearing us talk about them again. But, you know, go and have a look at the Thai women's team play and, and then you see the true spirit of cricket and what, what playing the game is all about. And even more so, and that's, I think, what we're really proud of the part that we play and to have Nishad's pieces about where Thailand cricket came from is that we know from talking to other associate members that they are reading those stories and using the Thai example and what they've done as a, as a basis for their, their women's development program. So, you know, to know that people are looking and, and looking at and, and copying the best, you know, you're not going to go far wrong if you, if you can look to what Thailand has been successful in doing and, and trying to make that work in your own country. Moving on and to Japan, uh, one of the countries that we just highlighted a few moments ago. The Japan Premier League is in the books. Uh, some horrible weather in Sano, but they did manage to 
find a winner, the South Kanto Super Kings, winning its their fourth title. Great to see some action. Frogbox Media uh, doing the streaming there. Shout out to those guys as well, doing um, some great work around. They're also doing uh, VOC Rotterdam streams in the top class as well. Uh, but South Kanto, too strong for, for everybody in the Japan Premier League even though both the final day and the reserve day were washed out. Uh, they did the business early on and were crowned champions, Nick. Yeah, going through on their group stage performances, a um, bit of a shame we couldn't get the final day in because it's a nice venue, actually, looking at the, the sun or ground. And uh, the, the time zone is pretty favorable for, <laughs> for Australia. I, I think I was pretty impressed in the one game that I did see with South Kanto's opening bowler, Seema Kohei Kubota, who bowled um, just as sort of cutters on, on the damp conditions. And it just uh, it was really effective. And the, the, you know, the Hurricanes basically didn't have any answers uh, for his bowling. He's only 21. Um, I, I haven't seen him in the national team so far, so he could be one to, to keep an eye on. Some other news before we do chat to Matt Featherston. The Afghanistan Cricket Board has sacked Chief Executive Officer Luftullah Stanikzai two years before his contract expires, citing mismanagement, unsatisfactory performance and misbehaviour with managers. Chairman Farhan Yousafzai and the ACB made the announcement through a press release on Monday, Punjab and HCC stand atop of the Dutch top classer through four rounds after the latter thumped previously undefeated VRA by 167 runs, Hide Overdijk taking five for 27. Punjab were too strong for Dosti, while in the other results, Mudasa Bukhari made an unbeaten 100 in Sparta's win over HBS, VCC defeated Excelsior, and HCC squeezed past VOC in a two-wicket win. And finally, the ECL has added the Czech Republic as a new member of the competition in 2022 and beyond. For more news, log on to EmergingCricket.com. But for now, part one of our chat with Matt Featherston. I'm Jared Kimber and you're listening to the Emerging Cricket Podcast. Perhaps the only cricket podcast that can tell the difference between Akira Bascom and Onegs Bascom. Well, here at the Emerging Cricket Podcast, we've been blessed to have a number of special guests on the show, and we have yet another one lined up tonight. Ooh. The president at Cricket Brazil, ex-Brazil captain, record holder, and the global representative of the non-voting associate members to the development committee of the ICC, Matthew Featherston. Thank you for joining us on the show. Many thanks for having me. It's been a long time coming. We've uh, professed your incredible work in Brazil. It's been a tricky time for everyone around the world, but we know that Brazil's had it a little bit worse off than other parts of the world. I understand that you're about three hours inland and out of the woods in terms of COVID relatively in regards to the rest of the country. How's everyone going over there and, and how's the cricket situation at the moment? Well, as you mentioned, uh, Brazil has not taken the COVID-19 situation as well as we'd hoped, but uh, maybe was to be expected. Uh, we are fortunately about three hours inland from, from the major cities of Sao Paulo, uh, where it's really hit hard. Um, so we're, we're relatively okay, but obviously on COVID alert. Cricket, unfortunately, has, has, has stopped as it has most places in the world. We're hoping to get back to a little bit of training by the end of this month, but nothing's guaranteed because, unfortunately, numbers are still rising in Brazil rather than going the other way. Now, we, we spoke to Freddie Clocker of Denmark, and just having a little brief look at your Wikipedia page, you actually made your list 
a debut for <laughs> the Kent Cricket Board against Denmark in 1999. Uh, made an unbeaten 104 not out. So you made a bit of a mockery of the Danish team. But now we see you in Brazil. We know you've, you've captained the Brazilian national team. How did Brazil come about? And how did you get out there? What's the backstory to the Matt Featherston Brazil story? Um, the Matt Featherston Brazil story was just, I mean, as most, most expats find themselves in Brazil is because they fell in love with a Brazilian somewhere else. And I was very fortunate to meet my wife in London. She hated the cold. She hated cricket <laughs> uh, and therefore was quite keen to get back to Brazil as, as quick as possible. Uh, and I was playing a relative standard of cricket there and had a contract in, in the UK and therefore said to my wife in September 2000, we'll move to Brazil and we'll go from there. And when I arrived in Brazil, I didn't really realise there was any cricket about. There wasn't much around and just things have gone on from there. And it's been a, a very pleasant journey for the last 20 years. So you didn't know whether there was cricket there. Can you tell us about what presented in Brazil cricket-wise when you arrived, not knowing what was there when you when you got there? Yeah, there, there was a club. I actually bumped into a friend of mine in a bar in Sao Paulo that I schooled with, uh, and he mentioned about cricket in Brazil, and there's a, there was an English club uh, that played cricket. Went along there, there was a, a group of lads, nice group of lads that played cricket sort of once a month, once every two months uh, at the British club, and joined in uh, with that to start with. It was, it was a fair drive from my place, but it was a good thing to do every couple of months, just go down and start playing a bit of cricket and, and having a bit of English chat with the guys down there. So it started that way and then things just evolved and, and moved on from there. So how does that go from from having a drink in a bar with a mate to playing for the country and then pivoting into coaching and development? You know, what set you on that path? Well, the, the As I say, cricket's been in Brazil for a long time. It was actually when the English were here building the railways between Rio and Sao Paulo a long time ago and there's actually registered cricket games in Brazil back to 1872 so it's actually there's been cricket around it's been the expats that have played and obviously once we started playing and, and enjoying ourselves we then realised that why do the Brazilians not play this game why are we not actually letting this game to everyone we know it's such a great game it, it works all around the world why would it not work here where the sun shines and most of the time you don't get much rain it seems perfect conditions to be playing cricket in. so that's how it started and, and then we decided to just move on and, and do a few social projects from there and that's where we are today so where was the um i guess the light bulb moment where you, you went from it being a bit of fun with your, your expat mates to something a bit more serious in terms of trying to bring it to the uh the brazilian population in general there was, there was sort of two defining moments one was i was i'm in a town middle of brazil speaking little portuguese not really knowing what i'm going to do thinking what i did do when i was at home and therefore the only thing i could offer was maybe some cricket to start with so i started at a children's home with 24 kids here and we just went into this children home and started playing cricket with this group of 24 people once a week uh, and that was the start of me sort of taking part in cricket here and, and seeing that it worked that these kids once given an opportunity cricket would work in this country so that was the sort of the starting fact and then also the ICC contacted us in 2002 uh, and told us about various uh, membership criteria if we'd like to become or thought about becoming in 2002 a member of the ICC something that unfortunately doesn't happen as much anymore but they were actively looking for members then and therefore we then went about trying to fulfill these membership criteria and became a member of the ICC. So you've gone from you know you've got the, the children's home with 24 people meeting once a week with cricket and, and we know what at the moment what you've got going on with the Black Shirts program. You Talk us through the evolution of you know, how it went from something so small to something um, a, a lot bigger at the moment. Well, 
Firstly, it was, as I say, we started with the 24. Where we are now, we've now got in, in one town over four, just over 4,000 underprivileged or less fortunate children playing cricket each week. And how that started really was, was this 24 back in the in the day at the, the children's home, seeing that their ability to play sport that we know, the, the way they're enjoying it. And it's the question I always ask myself is that, why did I spend so much time playing this sport? Because it's such a great sport. It's got so many other values about it. Uh, it's not just the game it's everything about the game and Brazil I really think lacks that type of sport we often compare ourselves a lot to rugby and the type of people that play rugby rather than to football and and in Brazil as you know football is, is the main sport but they didn't have that other sport they didn't have that other option with these values and the great sport of, of cricket so bringing it to people seeing them enjoy not just the cricket side but the social side uh, and the communication between other people it really started to bring a community together and then we also saw the bit that it started to change a few people's lives and that wasn't the idea at the beginning we didn't come to try and start making a difference in people's lives we wanted to start people playing cricket but as the project rolled on through these sort of 10 12 years we've seen that not only is the sport taking place and people enjoying the sport but all the other benefits that cricket brings with it are also happening uh, and almost becoming more important than the actual game and so that was the that's the most inspiring part about it is that you can actually see people changing their lives through cricket and through the use of us bringing this game here can you give some examples of that because we we, we hear stories from people in similar positions to yourself about the qualities and the values that cricket brings. I'd love to hear some of those examples of how those values and qualities in the game have changed people's lives in Brazil. You mentioned very quickly the, the black t-shirts and and that was the start of this. We what did we, we lacked in Brazil people who would provide a role model of cricket. It's all very easy. Uh, an English chap who lived in England coming to Brazil, fulfilling his, his dream of keeping cricket going, bringing a sort of uh, his pastime with him. And talking to Brazilians, you're always someone a little bit different. You weren't their next door neighbour. You weren't their role model. You were just someone from another country that's turned up that happened to play a different sport. So we we sat down as a group and decided we needed to create role models in the local communities for other people to aspire to. So we, in our projects that we started, we chose uh, 12 candidates that we decided to be our black t-shirts, gave them a black t-shirt, which made them a little bit different from everyone else with cricket on the front, uh, and a little bit more responsibility. And within no time at all, we realized that once we were talking to the local community with this role model with us and him speaking about cricket and saying how great cricket was, the whole scenario change that people could then relate to him or her whereas they couldn't relate to us and therefore that started we put these people through university so through the cricket cricket project we've then decided to put these 12 through university to be uh, PE teachers that was an interesting scenario because we thought that offering a place at university would be accepted very easily but then when it got down to it we looked and found out that these were the first people that have ever been to university in their whole family history so therefore convincing the mother and father of this child that university was a good option uh, wasn't as easy as you thought because he needed to be the next bricklayer or the next person who drove the bus to provide the small amount of income for the family and that's how it worked so uh, once we broke through that barrier and we've we convinced them that 
university would be a good option for them, uh, not only for the four, month, uh, the four years, but also going forward. That started a process. So now these children are representing cricket in the local communities with their black t-shirts, talking about going to university, their experiences of playing cricket. They also represent some of them, the national team. So they're the first people who've ever left the country. They've been on a plane. All these sort of things that once you get in front of children and then a Brazilian saying they've done this through cricket and also with a great admiration for the sport that's when things really start to change in Brazil. So we've had um, quite a long time with this Black Shirts program, quite a few years now. Uh, who are some of the great success stories? You know, talk us through some of the heroes of the, of the program. Yeah, I mean, we have... All of them are standout stories, to be honest. We thankfully the people that have stepped forward, taken the responsibility of, of taking cricket on uh, and being black t-shirts, they've then become not local celebrities, but they've become people as uh, the role models that we really wanted them to be. So them taking that forward, making it public that cricket has made a difference to them. Uh, and we've done lots of videos and lots of work with the Lord's Taverners and etc., promoting cricket here through these uh, individuals. But seeing people coming out and becoming professional cricket coaches. We've now got professional cricket coaches as we mentioned before. There was just myself at the beginning and a couple of other friends. Now we've got a whole system of 14 there's actually going to be 16 people working for Cricket Brazil now and, and that's because the locals have bought in, have seen what it does and have become the, uh, these heroes that we were looking for. Well, speaking of heroes, uh, you are the first, we believe, country to offer professional contracts to your women's national team before your men's team. And not only does that make you heroes of the global game, you're also created heroes in your local community and Brazil at large. Can you, you talk about that a bit? Because you know, when we saw your release and got that story up, it's still one of the, the more popular stories on our website and it really resonated around the world and people wanted to know more about cricket in Brazil. And I, I'd, I'd love to know the story behind that. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was a, a great thing for us. The women's cricket in Brazil is, has been working hard as in with the men's cricket. We were very fortunate that when we started taking cricket to schools, we had a really blank piece of paper. So nobody looked at cricket as a male sport or a female sport. It was a sport for all. There wasn't any idea of what had gone on before, any history that it was just the men played and the women made the tea. Uh, as it happened when we played. Sport was for all and therefore we had a sort of 50-50 base of boys and girls playing cricket. Therefore, when we went to training, as we say, of the 4,000 that we have now, there's there's nearly 2,000 girls in that system. And the girls started playing really well. We saw through the training, uh, through the development of cricket, that the girls were really improving at, at the same rate that the boys were. But as we know in, in international cricket, women's cricket is not still at the standard that the men's cricket is. We needed a really focal point for Cricket Brazil and decided to make our focal point our best team and our most successful team that were the women. And we sat down as a group and a board and decided that if we're going to make a statement as Cricket Brazil, our biggest chance is with women's cricket and also with disability cricket. We're looking into that avenue as well. But women's cricket for us at the moment is our best foot forward. They're the best team. They have the best results and have, in my mind, the best chance to put cricket on the map in this country. Uh, so it was an interesting thing. We have contracted 14 girls. We have built a new high performance centre. They're all living in that area, playing five to six hours every day. And also part of their contract is, is that they become role models as well for the local community and do community work uh, during the mornings. 
to help build that so the snowball just keeps getting bigger and bigger. You've kind of answered my next question there with, with what you just said, but looking at the way that Brazil women's cricket has put, yeah, as you said, Brazil on the map, you know, I'm looking at, at social media a lot and Roberta Moretti Avery is posting a video of a cut shot every single day, practicing at home, practicing a bowling and a batting. And we looked at Thailand in the women's T20 World Cup and I think they came to the same conclusion as you guys where women's cricket really was the opportunity to, to put your country on the map. So it, as you said, it's a very, very conscious decision. Do you have like a specific timeline in, in terms of going on to the next level with the women's national team? I know South America is a tough nut to crack. We know Argentina is strong as well. A lot of other countries in the area boasting a lot of talent. Where do the Brazilian girls sit in terms of South American cricket and, and what's the next step for them? First of all, I mean, South America is getting stronger every year. And Billy McDermott, who runs Cricket Argentina, is a great friend of mine. And, and really, he they started this tradition of wanting to get better. Obviously, the competition between Argentina and Brazil is massive in any sport. And therefore, for the first five or six years, Argentina gave us a real thrashing on the women's side. And then all of a sudden, we've managed to turn that round for the next the last four or five years. We've actually beat them four out of five times in the South American Championships. So that started the ball rolling now where are we going to go next year we're now in the ICC qualifiers so Argentina Brazil Canada and USA will be thrashing it out as of next March hopefully and we really feel that we've got a chance that's our next step we want to be the best team in the Americas we want to be the next Thailand we see there's a potential and as we know if we can give these girls the opportunity the Robertas who is unbelievably dedicated on cricket and it's not just her there's a few others that are following her example that really make you think the sky's the limit there's definitely a chance for Brazil to be on this next ladder to be playing against the USA and Canada beating the USA and Canada and then going on to the next stage I don't want to talk too much about the Olympics but we are really thinking that if cricket becomes an Olympic sport in 2028 and 29 these girls and this is part of our whole role of Cricket Brazil and the women's team will be part of that and and that's what we're working to with these goals and aims in mind and as I say we really think Cricket Brazil and, and the women's side can be a team to be to be reckoned with uh so you just mentioned the olympics and that's actually one of our questions that we've got coming up yeah you thought you'd get away from that but you know so obviously it would make a huge difference to the sport in brazil where i believe there's government funding attached to olympic sports um talk us through you know what it would do for the game in brazil I mean, not just Brazil, I think the whole world. There's a few members that are part of the ICC that might not see the benefits as much as we do. But for cricket and associate nations, cricket becoming an Olympic sport would change the game for most of us. It's the first question that I'm asked everywhere I go. And I talk about cricket and say cricket is potentially the second most popular sport in the world. And they say, is it in the Olympics? And you can see the disappointment on their face that you've been talking for the last 10 minutes about how great the game, how big the game is it's the second biggest game in the world but it's not an Olympic sport and then you start tracing yourself back and then saying well why not and then you find yourself sometimes not being able to answer the question very well why not is, is, a, is a good question it would be a game changer if we could get that in there would be funding from local governing bodies uh, I know I've already mentioned rugby and I'm good friends with the rugby crew in, in South America and in, in Brazil rugby becoming an Olympic sport changed the game in this country they have gone from a very amateur setup and they won't mind me saying that to an unbelievably professional setup because what happens with the Olympics is recognition is people seeing it globally Brazilians watch the Olympics uh, they can tell you about high jump because the Olympic champions Brazilian how, how many high jumpers are there 
they're compared with cricketers. They can't tell you about cricket because they haven't got that notion of it. So really, is it's a, it's a big passion of mine. I, I don't understand why it's not an Olympic sport or why it won't be soon. And if it was, it would be a real game changer. So obviously... Um... Yeah, a lot of associates have a similar view and, and it would be a game changer. You know, what do you think in your position uh, as an associate member can you do to try and push it at the ICC level? Because as you said, the, the roadblock seems to be on the administrative side of things. I mean, I understand that they have their protocols and, and they know why they're, this is not happening. I think every year, as you know, I'm, I'm an ICC rep, every year from our annual conference, the first recommendation from the associates is to put cricket as an Olympic sport. That's the first recommendation that comes out of every annual conference. It's a little bit boring and a little bit repetitive because it must have been going since 2009 from when I joined, but it's, it's always the number one agenda item. Uh, unfortunately, for very various reasons it doesn't get past the goalpost it doesn't get over the line but I think every year we're getting closer to it getting over the line I think people are actually seeing the benefits that cricket in the Olympics will bring uh, and hopefully if we keep hitting the nail on the head enough times it's eventually going to go in lots of places I could go after that um, I don't want to nail you down to, to a, a number, but I've, I've heard some pretty large numbers when people talk about the potential of the game. And I, I, I think this is important for people to hear just the kind of change it would, it would bring for the game in Brazil. And you talked about what rugby has experienced. Do you have any idea from a financial point of view? And we know that there'll be additional support with access to government sports facilities, but from a, a purely financial point of view, the difference it would make when cricket becomes an Olympic sport? I mean, I, I have good figures here, although they would be changing every year. And obviously, I've deployed after a COVID-19 situation that also might be changing a little bit as we go forward but it would be an amazing the support that the national governing body gives to Olympic sports in Brazil is quite high uh, now if, if we give examples of a lot of non-voting associate members of the ICC receive between fifteen and $50,000 a, a year. If you became, if we became, Brazil became a member of the Olympic Committee, we'd be receiving around 500000 US dollars wow. because we are a member of the Olympic Committee in the country and they would commit to you being able to try and put a team forward to the next Olympics. And, and that happened rugby massively. So it doesn't matter whether you make the Olympics themselves, it doesn't matter whether your team gets through the first round of qualification or not and I know I'm not holding you to numbers here but that's half a million dollars every year on the year as long as cricket's an Olympic sport I mean there's, there's a lot of other benefits well it's not just the payment we would also be able to register our athletes to receive a government funding so we could actually pay our athletes that we pay our contracted women's team would be contracted by the government because they're an Olympic sport we would pick those 14 we could actually go to 18 players that would receive a monthly salary from the government because we're now a recognized Olympic sport. Now that's a massive amount of money as well for these athletes that today we pay. Unfortunately, we don't pay them as much as the government would do. Uh, but that's a, a, a process that if it happened and if it was put in place, being able to pay players through government schemes, being able to get a lump sum through the government, the game would grow massively. So sorry, I'm kind of, I'm stealing all the questions, lads. Um, mm. I just I, I want to I prosecute this. So just interest sake for me, we're, we're hoping that cricket is going to be reintroduced in the Olympics for 2028 in, in LA. Would it be as soon as the sport is announced, you would start getting that support from the Brazil government and sports commission, sports federation there, or is it only a certain number of years ahead of time? Uh, I believe, and, and speaking to other associations and governing bodies of sports, that it's almost an immediate thing once you become uh, a member of the Olympic Committee. Obviously, fun 
will be gradual. The more success you have, the more funding you get, which is obvious. But as, as soon as you become a recognized sport by the government, then funding starts. And, and it's not just the funding that's important because once you then become a recognized sport, local sponsors, which are very difficult to find when you're talking about a sport that nobody knows and is not an Olympic sport, therefore being part of the, the Olympic family, you then become part of the Olympic family of people that want to sponsor you because you're then going to be, they know in a position that people are going to recognize the sport a lot more uh, and want to be part of that. So it would not only open up paying the national team players, getting a lump sum every year, but it would also open up potential sponsors massively. So in the meantime, uh, you've managed to, to wrangle in uh, BioTreat and Guarita um, as two of your sponsors as part of Cricket in Brazil. Uh, how did you sell cricket to these particular sponsors, given the situation that you're in at the moment, You know, not being part of that Olympic committee and having to pivot to finding sponsors elsewhere? Well, I think it comes down to, I mean, connections. As you know, that these people, if you look behind who's behind BioTreat, who's behind Guanita, and a few other people that are also helping out, they are people that are connected to cricket, that are knowing the work and seeing the work that's being done, but are personal friends. If we really want to grow cricket to the next level, personal friends are fantastic and people that want to help out are fantastic. But, but what we really want people to do is be part of a Brazilian sport and not part of just Matt Peniston and what we doing on a small scale here in Brazil if, if it was a, a known sport that everyone would be part of then we could start looking at, at really big partners uh, and we uh, I thank Biotree and Guadis, Guadita and all the other sponsors massively but where we want Cricket to Brazil to be in the next five to ten years is with a big sponsor who will be helping Cricket Brazil and us helping them so the answer to that is the sponsors are great fantastic to us but they are just through personal contacts uh, that we know that want to help and grow the sport here in Brazil. So you've, you just mentioned how you're trying to, I guess, break into the mainstream and, you know, the elephant in the room is obviously soccer or football. You know, how do you break through that behemoth in Brazil? Because as we all know, football in Brazil is, is synonymous. It, it is. I mean, there's no doubt that we'd be quite happy to be second to football as well. We don't really need to be number one in the country. We'd be quite happy, happily sitting in second place. Um, but it's giving people the opportunity as cricket grows and as our project is growing in this town we've got more people who are working with us and therefore more people the opportunity to play once you get the people the opportunity to play you can see that this game will take off 10 10s 20 20s i'm not so sure at the moment about talking about five days and things like that in brazil but definitely the game is a game that people want to play and our job is giving people the opportunity to play it once they've had the opportunity people will, will keep playing it it won't stop uh, and being number two in brazil behind football it's no problems at all with me and you you talked about the fact that it's a bit of a blank slate especially in the women's game and, and you know i think about in australia how women's cricket is sort of overshadowed by the huge history of men's cricket and perhaps in Brazil, women's football is is overshadowed by the rich history of men's football. So having this blank slate approach to cricket, you know, what are some of the benefits of trying to attract people to a, a completely new sport that they maybe haven't seen before? Uh, as I say, women's cricket is definitely going to be the way forward at the moment because that's where we have the most success. Uh, bringing people to play the new sport is a, is a lot easier. I think, as you say, you've got no protocol that this is a men's sport. It's a men's dominated game as it is in a lot of places around the world. Uh, here it's not. So you'll very often see more girls playing cricket uh, during a session than you will boys. Also, I think it's important that when we started the game, it was very important that it's not just about the hardball game. We're not 
worried about everyone playing hardball cricket, 11-a-side cricket. And therefore, giving people the option to play softball cricket forever is fine with us. If, if you don't want to make that jump from softball to hardball, then that's no problem. Cricket is cricket, whether it's with a tennis ball, a sock rolled up, a hardball cricket on a nice field. And therefore, I think you cut out all of those problems that people sometimes get when they turn up at, up at a club to play cricket and realise that they don't fit in. Cricket in Brazil, everyone fits in. It's a sport for all. And we hope that the men will be as successful as the women, which is, is the other way around for most countries that people normally go after the men's team. We are really saying to our boys, if you're as good as the girls, then the opportunity to get a central contract will come to you. But at the moment, we're going with our best team. I know it might be a bit blasphemous to say, but I'm sure there are people in Brazil who don't like football. And to, to think about how football operates in Brazil and, and the bigger countries around the world, I'm sure there's a lot of politics involved. Whereas it, it sounds like with, with cricket, it's very much an, an even playing field. There's no inhibitions. People are coming to it. Um, as you said, it's accessible for everybody. In terms of Cricket Brazil and the programs that you're putting out, where are you guys based and where are the big hotspots of cricket in Brazil at the moment? Where are you running a lot of your programs? How accessible is it to the people around the country? Well, firstly, about, about football, you're, you're correct that a lot of people don't like football. I don't like to talk about it, especially in Brazil, but <laughs> them being hammered 7-1 seven, seven by Germany, didn't there is- <laughs> disfavours at all that was like people started to dislike football a lot more after that result but um no i mean the centers of cricket brazil at the moment i say we we lack people to teach cricket we, we lack the teachers the, the cricket coaches we don't lack the number of people to put it out to to give the opportunity to so We've started in a, in a small town. Our hotspots are Pasajacaldas, which is where I live, which is a small town in Minas Gerais. Uh, and then we go, we have centres in Brasilia, Rio, Sao Paulo and Paraná are the main centres where we have the competitions and they all have clubs running there. At the moment, as I say, we are trying to build up the number of cricket coaches and, and specifically Brazilian coaches. And I know you've talked about this on your podcast about having indigenous local people playing cricket that really is our goal that's we don't want to not let the expat like myself enjoy cricket or even be part of cricket but we want to make sure that it's the brazilians and there's 200 million of them so we're not lacking in numbers become the population of playing cricket and therefore cricket will never stop if we rely on expats coming in and out of the country that might not be where our goals and results are but using them that are coming in and out local population playing and providing the opportunity for locals to become cricket teachers once we've got that number to 20 30 40 we would then hopefully be pushing this project where we have now of 4,000 into the other towns and actually sort of exporting our own coaches that we make in this town around brazil and and growing the game slowly, but that's intentionally. We don't want to grow too fast because we can't provide the, the support or the or the competition. But slowly, over the next 10, 15, 20 years, uh, exporting these coaches all over Brazil and cricket with Brazil will be a popular sport. As you're talking about training coaches there, you, you mentioned you speaking in Portuguese before. Has cricket been a, another chance for these kids to be to be learning English or are you instructing entirely in Portuguese? 
I'd like to instruct entirely in Portuguese and even being here for 20 years, my Portuguese is terrible. <laughs> so it does give the opportunity for people to speak in English. Part of the, the program that the university uh, students do is they have to do an English course that we provide for them. Because as we know, as the international language of, of cricket is English. It's all very well being able to do lessons and, and teach in this country in Portuguese. But if they're going to be part of bigger things and hopefully taking my place in ICC positions, Uh, not being able to speak English will definitely hinder that. So therefore, they get the chance to learn English. We get the chance to learn Portuguese. Although we, we do use a few phrases that are local, most of the phrases for cricket are all in English. So you'll hear someone talking in Portuguese very fluently and all of a sudden say it. Go to cover, mid on. Uh, and so all these words think, well, oh, I recognize that word. <laughs> <laughs> it's another language in its own in its own right, cricket, to be fair. Absolutely. I mean there's they make a few abbreviations of the of the slang terms in cricket, i.e. cow corner. There's their own version of cow corner in Portuguese and, and all those sort of things that they make up. But the, the general vocabulary is English. And Brazilians like the opportunity to speak English. They like the opportunity to play against other countries that often come over here and tour that play that speak in English it gives them that opportunity and, and it also shows how big the game is I think sometimes we live in a small place they think that they're the only people that play cricket and all of a sudden when they see on the, I mean, the internet but they see other people coming up and showing interest in them speaking English uh, really show to them that how big the global game of cricket is Before we move on to getting to know more about your pathways and facilities talking about speaking English a lot of the themes or at least a lot of the conversation with with guests in other nations are, is the struggle with how the sport is perceived as an English or a British game and uh, the negative connotations that might carry with it. Do you run into any of the similar challenges in Brazil when you're trying to, to grow the game there or having first conversations with people about the sport? Um, no, I think is the answer to I think because it's coming as a, as a sport for all, I think it's become very easy for us to put the sport across When we first started a time ago, and we would talk about cricket, I mean, it's a funny situation. The only negativity would have maybe come from me when you when you start talking in front of an audience about cricket and the one-day game and the five-day game, and then you and you look at those faces and they're looking at you in in awe, and you suddenly start thinking, well, maybe the mad one in this group is not them; it's definitely me. Because <laughs> uh, spending five days or four days or a, or a whole day playing cricket and telling them what a great game would definitely scare people off, but Now, when they're seeing 10-10s, 15-15s, 20-20s, any format of the game that fits into the timescale that you need to. Because honestly, if it's not in your culture, a one-day whole game of cricket is not in the imagination of anyone that's never played the sport before. That they're going to turn up at nine o'clock in the morning and leave at seven o'clock in the evening. It just doesn't happen. So I think it was us that to more than them adapting to it. us adapting to their reality, what the timescales they've got and bringing in 2020. Uh, made it an easy sell. We didn't have that problems of the ex-colonial or the expat sort of system giving us a hard time. We'll have part two of our chat with Matt next week as well as news around the world, so stay tuned for that. But for now, on behalf of Tim Cutler, Nick Skinner and myself, Daniel Beswick, see you next week.